We started the concept a couple weeks ago of first things first. And, and we talked about the reality that when you learn to put the first things first, what happens is you then leverage the power of priority. It, it helps you to go further faster. It's the way that we're to live. And, and we learned there is a foundation in the life of a person of faith when it comes to first things first. And we're to seek the Lord. Jesus in Matthew chapter 6 told us this. He said, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things shall be added unto you. And so seeking God's kingdom, as we learn, really means living a life that is within the domain or the rule, the direction, the guidance of, of God. It means we're earnestly pursuing a life that says, God, I want to go wherever you'd have me to go. I want to do whatever you would have me to do. I want to follow you. Last week, as Jeremy preached, I heard that uh, he did a fantastic job. I listened to most of the message that uh, he preached, and, and uh, we learned a lot of things from Jeremy last week. We learned he loses track of time in lows, okay, and I can relate to that. He told that story, and, and, uh, and yet he told us that there's great value of keeping first things first when it comes to the first day of the week. There's a wonderful thing that happens in our lives when we commit to a church family and just say, you know, Lord, in keeping with your word, I want to be faithful to attend church. And we talked about uh, the first day of the week. And, and today I'm excited to take this series even one step further as we discuss this concept in the Bible called the first fruits. The first fruits. And, and this is an expression that's used throughout the Bible. It's not just found in one book of the Bible or maybe in the old and not the new. It's, it's a concept used throughout the Bible. And in the Bible times, people made their incomes by and large by farming or by livestock. And when they would give to the Lord, it was referred to as their first fruits. So their income would be fruits. And, and so they'd give the first of it to God. It was, it was a way of giving. It was a way of worshiping and and what they were doing is they gave their first fruits to God. And I want you to catch this because it's foundational to get this concept. They were saying through that offering among other things, God, it all comes from you. It's all yours. I didn't generate this on my own, Lord. This is of you and this offering is to you. And there was a foundational level of understanding in the people of faith that that said, you know something, everything is of God, it comes from God. I think of the words of David. In Psalm 24 and verse 1, he said this, he said, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and they that dwell therein. David said, here's how I sum things up. The earth, well, it belongs to God. All the things on the earth, well, it all belongs to God. In fact, all the people on the earth, they, they all belong to God. And as people of faith historically responded to the goodness of God, they've acknowledged Him in this way that we call first fruits. They were not giving God some of their stuff. They concluded, God, it's all yours to begin with, and so this is an act of faith and worship as we give back to you. They were giving out of the abundance of God's blessings. And, and when you think about it, that is the foundation of any life that worships God. When you come to the conclusion, God, it's all of you, you can come to the place in your, in your life of faith where you say, God, I want to worship you for the great God that you are. I esteem you greatly. When we begin to really understand this, it liberates us to live for God. Now, we have a really encouraging and a helpful passage of Scripture today, but I want to set a little bit of the stage as we get into this. God wrote the entire Bible. God himself did not write the Bible. In fact, he used over 40 different people over the span of 1,500 years, and the Bible says that he put on the hearts of those that wrote that which he would have them to write. Peter tells us this in 2 Peter 1 and verse 21. He said, the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, 
But holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. So here were holy people who were moved of the Holy Ghost in the writing of what Peter calls here the prophecy. We call the Word of God the, the Bible. Paul put it this way in 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 16. He said, all scripture is given by inspiration of God. And it's profitable, all of it's profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for uh, instruction, or for correction rather, and for instruction in righteousness. So when we pick up the word of God, we're picking up a word that is inspired of God. And it's a word that he's preserved for us so that we can study to know the heart and the mind and the will of God for our lives. It's in this book that we call Proverbs that we find that a king by the name of Solomon was doing the writing. He learned about life and leadership by and large from his father, King David, and, and uh, he was a really good and a wise king himself. And he wrote this part of the Bible, I want you to understand the context, more as a father, more as a father. In fact, throughout the book of Proverbs, you'll read things like, my son, you know, he's writing to his, his children and he's hoping that what he's sharing will be received by them so that they can live the best life possible. So that they don't just pass their time on this planet, but they live in the very best way possible. And when we understand what the Bible is, we can then look at Proverbs and say, this is not just a letter from a man named Solomon to his children. Because God moved and God inspired and there's profit in all of the word, what we're finding in Proverbs is a letter from our Heavenly Father to those of us who are His children. God is saying, I want the best for you. So much so, I took the time to have it all written down. And with that background in mind, it might be helpful for us to enter into this study to see the links to which God went to record His Word for us today. I know we've been up and down a bit this morning, but I'm going to invite you, if you're able, to join me in standing uh, out of respect for the reading of God's Word. If you're glad to be in church, say amen. amen. And uh, uh, I'm looking forward to teaching this. I think it's a powerful, uh, powerful truth. Proverbs chapter 3 and verse 1. He begins here by saying, My son, forget not my law, but let thine heart keep my commandments. For length of days and long life and peace shall they add to thee. And again, that's the heart of a father. He's saying, kids, really, I want you to listen to what it is I'm saying to you. This is going to add to your life. Verse 3. Let not mercy and truth forsake thee. Bind them about thy neck. Write them upon the table of thine heart. So shalt thou find favor and good understanding in the sight of God and man. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart. And lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths. Be not wise in thine own eyes. Fear the Lord and depart from evil. It shall be health to thy navel and marrow to thy bones. Honor the Lord with thy substance and with the first fruits of all thine increase. So shall thy barns be filled with plenty and thy presses shall burst out with new wine. I want you to notice with me, if you would, in verse 9. He speaks there of honoring the Lord, but specifically he says with the first fruits of of all thine increase. And I want to talk to you today about this matter of the first fruits. Let's ask God to help us as we study His Word. Our Father, we thank and praise You for who You are. And Lord, we're grateful that because Your nature, Your character is, is perfect, that we can know that from You so many good things come. And Lord, as we look to Your Word today, I pray that You'd open our hearts so that we may understand 
and so that we may grow. Now I pray that we would make decisions today based on the truth of your word. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. you. May be seated. I was not an education major in college, but I had to take some uh, courses in education. And, and I remember hearing a professor say there are three R's in education. He said the three R's of education are reading, writing, and arithmetic. Now, of course, two of those words do not start with R. I guess it's a catchy way of remembering it. But apparently somebody along the way came to the conclusion that if you learn how to read and you learn how to write and you learn how to, to do math, that you then will have unlocked the door that will allow you to enter into the room where all the rest of the wisdom is. If you, if you nail those down, it'll help you in every other area of your learning. And in that similar vein today, I want to tell you that the Word of God was written, and it really covers, in that sense, only three major topics. Only three major topics do we find in the Word of God. And every one of them deal with the relationships that we have. If you were to break God's Word down into just three topics, you'd have to say it deals, first of all, with our relationship to God. Without the Word of God, we wouldn't know of our need for the Lord, nor would we know how to have a relationship with God. So the Bible tells us how we can have a relationship with God. The Word of God was written so that we can have good relationships with one another. If you want to have a good marriage, I can tell you how to do it. Come to the couple's retreat. We're going to open the Bible up and we're going to find principles in the Word of God that work for every marriage. It tells us how to, how to do well as parents and, and as friends and, and on I could go. It tells us about our relationship with, with one another. But the Bible also has much to say about our relationship to the material world in which we're living. About 30% we could say, and I don't know that 30% of my teaching and preaching would, would cover this topic of, of our relationship to the material word, world, but it is important to understand that each of these relationships are intertwined. They affect the other. Let me give you an example of what I'm talking about today. In 1 John chapter 4, and verse 20, the Bible says this, If a man say, I love God, and hateth his brother, well, he's a liar. That's what the Bible says. For he that loveth not his brother whom he hath seen, how can he love God whom he hath not seen? In other words, I want you to see this. Our relationship with God can be seen in our relationship with others. They're, they're intertwined in that regard. And how we earn finances and budget them and spend them and invest them, it's a spiritual matter. And all of it reflects in the other relationships that we have in our lives. And so Solomon comes to his children and he says, Listen, kids, honor the Lord with thy substance and with the first fruits of all thine increase. He's teaching us that we can actually honor our God by the financial decisions we make in our lives. And he deals with a part of our lives here that we refer to as first fruits. Now, as I said, this is a topic that's found throughout the Word of God. And we often, when we speak of first fruits, refer to something that we call tithing. It's a Bible word. The word tithing means just one-tenth. And throughout the ages... Throughout the ages, I mean, as far back as we can study human history, people of faith who followed God have honored God with their first fruits by giving the Lord a tithe, a tithe, a tenth of their income in worship. And this was done long before there was a law. 
someone could say, well, maybe that was just something that the law made them do. No, no, no. This was done long before there was a law. In fact, the law comes in the second book of the Bible, Exodus chapter 20. But if we were to go to the first book of the Bible in Genesis chapter 14, we would find Abraham long before a law was given. He was worshiping God by giving a tithe. If we were to take the time to go to Genesis 28, we'd find Abraham's son Isaac. And what is he doing? He's worshiping God by giving the first fruits. He's giving the tithe to God. So it was long before the tithe. And, and then the law comes. And we know that Moses was, was the one that God used in the recording of his words. And certainly throughout the, the time of the law, people honored God by way of, of giving of a tithe. And then we come to the New Testament. And tithing was something even that Jesus Christ himself in the New Testament commended. One time he was speaking to some religious leaders. He was giving them the business. And he said this. He said, woe to you, you scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. For you pay tithe of mint and anise and cumin. Basically, he was saying, you know, you guys, you go to your herb garden and you're so careful to make sure that even one-tenth of the smallest matters are given in a tithe. He said, but you've omitted the weightier matters of the law, things like judgment, mercy, and faith. He said, these ought you to have done and not to leave the other undone. Jesus was saying this, listen, you should tithe and you should pay attention to that, but, but don't leave the other undone. So here he was affirming this matter of worshiping God in this way. One author said it this way, Abraham commenced it, Moses continued it, Jesus commanded it, and we should continue it as well. With this principle in mind, I want to share a few of the blessings that come along to the life that worships God, that honors God with our first fruits. When we honor the Lord in this way, it blesses our life. If you have your notes nearby this morning, I want to share with you that when we honor the Lord with our first fruits, first of all, it tells a story of trust. It tells a story of trust. Now, I want you to join me in verse 5. That's really where the verses that we're going to break apart today uh, begin in verse 5. And, and there in verse 5, Solomon said this to his children, and God is saying this to us. He says, trust in the Lord with all thine heart. And from there he goes into a passage dealing with the importance of honoring God as, as we give. He says that trust is connected to giving. Generosity leads towards a life that tells a story of faith. Do we trust God? Remember when I was growing up, my family had a sailboat, and uh, I think I've told a lot of stories about that old sailboat, but I remember the day me and Kevin were down there, we were playing around, and, and uh, we were getting into all kinds of things, and, and the line that you attach to the mainsail that runs through the pulley at the top of the mast to hoist that mainsail, we got that stuck all the way top uh, at the top of the mast. And I knew I was going to be in big trouble. My dad's generally not a happy person. And when I do things like that, he gets exceedingly unhappy, okay? And, and I thought, this, is, this could be the end of me. And so my buddy Kevin, um, who's slightly smarter than I am, he was still an idiot, but he was slightly smarter than me. Uh, he said, here's what we'll do. We'll get the line that goes to the front sa sail, the, the jib. And he said, we'll just tie that line around you. And then uh, I'll just pull you right up. Well, Kevin was a pretty sturdy guy. I thought, surely if anybody can do this, Kevin can do this. And so sure enough, we tied the line around me. And, and I'm standing there, and he's he's you ready I'm ready and and uh, uh, he, he's gonna pull and I remember just when my toes were getting ready to leave the deck of that boat I said put me down put me down and uh, he said what's the matter I said I just want to adjust here you know and I'm thinking this guy's gonna get me halfway up there and he's gonna drop me and and he says trust me Steve you know famous last words and I remember he started pulling again and my toes started to leave the deck and I said put me down there's got to be a better plan thankfully there was an older guy in a boat next door watching us laughing he came over and there's a better way to do that but sometimes in our Christian lives, we would be bold to profess our faith and trust and confidence and assurance in God. But when it comes to the point of our toes leaving the deck, when we worship God by way of our first fruits, we'd say, well, I don't know 
if I can trust God in that way. In our financial lives, giving is really a matter of trusting God. And many of us would say, I trust God for a relationship with Him. I trust God when it comes to the relationships I have in my life. I mean, He invented marriage. He certainly can help me in mine. I just don't know if I can trust God when it comes to what He has to say about my possessions. In Psalm 34, the Bible says this, But I trusted in Thee, O Lord, I said, Thou art my God. Friends, I want you to know today that giving is a very tangible way to honor the Lord. And as we do this, what we're saying is what the psalmist said there, you're my God and I trust you. I want you to know giving, it tells a story of trust. Secondly, today it seeks the path of promise. If you're still with me, say amen. Amen. Let's make our way down to verse six. Verse six, the Bible says it this way, in all thy ways acknowledge him and he shall direct thy paths. Now, as we look in this verse here, we learn that one of the great ways to acknowledge the Lord is by keeping him first and in our giving. That's where this passage leads us. It recognizes that all we have is from God. And as we acknowledge God, what the Bible says is we find a promise of a path. He says, if you'll acknowledge me, what's going to happen is I will then direct your paths. Now, there are no shortages of paths in the world today. Uh, There are a lot of different ways in which you can go. The psalmist in Psalm 17 and verse 4 said this. He said, concerning the works of men, by the word of thy lips, I have kept me from the paths of the destroyer. The Bible says there's a destroyer that can have a path for your life. And I want you to know, just as sure as there's a good God, there's an evil devil. And he'll have a path for you at every turn. He's got a will for your life, just like God has a will for your life. And there is is the path of, of the destroyer. In fact, the Bible says we're even free to make a path of our own choosing. We can do that. The the Bible tells us this in Proverbs 14. There is a way which seemeth right unto a man. But the end thereof are the ways of death. God says you can go your own way if you want to, but I already know how that story's going to end. It doesn't end well. Solomon let us know there is, however, the best path. And that's the one that comes from God. And God promises to direct us into his path as we follow him by faith. He's not following us with a sharp stick trying to prod us along. No, he's going to lead us and we have to follow him by faith. The psalmist said this in Psalm 16. He said, thou wilt show me the path of life. In thy presence is fullness of joy. At thy right hand there are pleasures forevermore. The psalmist there said, listen, let me tell you something about God. He will show me the path that he wants me to to follow in life if you want to go in this life where God would have it's helpful to know that we have a promise that if we acknowledge God he will direct us into the right places at the right times you'll find that you'll keep those divine appointments oh listen I don't always get it right in my life but I want you to know there have been some moments in my life where I've entered into a season of blessing and you could ask how did you get in that place at that time with that person with that opportunity And somebody might be quick to profess that that was just a matter of coincidence. And I would say, you know, I happen to believe that it's a God who has an uncanny way of directing our steps. He leads us in the path. There's a promise that he will put a path in front of us. Our giving tells a story of trust. It seeks the path of promise. Next, I want us to see today it conquers the grip of covetousness. It conquers the grip of covetousness. Now let's look here at the next verse that comes. 
The Bible says it this way in verse 7. Be not wise in thine own eyes. Fear the Lord and depart from evil. Now, someone who's wise in their own eyes, they're, they're not going to see the value in living by faith. They're, they're not interested in what it is that God sees for them. They're, they're only interested in what they see for themselves. And, and when we become wise in our own minds, what happens, happens is our, our more pragmatic worldview kicks in. And we begin to think about things in a more common mathematical sense rather than how God says things will add up. And, and when we're in our pragmatic minds, we say things like this. Wait a minute, if I have $10 and I give God one of them, I've just been devalued by a dollar. When I look at this through the wisdom of my own eyes, there, there's no value at all in giving to God because it leaves me with less stuff. And, and I don't like that. And that pragmatic mindset invariably becomes a selfish mindset. And when that kicks in, life becomes all about material stuff. And what happens is covetousness begins to kick into our hearts and our lives. Greed kicks in. And Jesus had a lot to say about that material mindset and living. In Luke 12 and verse 15, the Bible says this, he said unto them, take heed and beware. Now I'm going to read on, but he could have said, take heed. He could have said, beware. But Jesus said, listen, I want you to take heed and I want you to beware of covetousness. Be careful of that two times over. He said, you need to know something. A man's life, it doesn't consist in the abundance of the things which he possesseth. Friends, can I tell you today, you're more than a paycheck. You're more than an account balance. And there's nothing wrong with getting a paycheck. And there's nothing wrong with having a balance in your account. But those, those things do not define you. You are not defined in your life by what you have or by what you get. You are defined by what you're able to give. There's a preacher in the 1800s, his name was Charles Spurgeon, and at the time he was the most well-known pastor in all of the world, literally pastored the largest church. To this day, he's the most published preacher of all time. This man had a lot of amazing things in his life, but he was asked one day what his most prized possession was. He could have pointed any number of things, but Charles Spurgeon, when asked, what is your most prized possession? He looked at the interviewer and said, my contentment. You know what he said by that answer? He said, I don't need one prized possession to bring joy to my life. I have joy in Jesus. For me, it's not all about stuff. It's not all about accumulating things. It's, it's about knowing that I have Jesus in my life. Paul one time was writing to a church in a place called Colossae, and he said this. He said, mortified. <laughs> Again, I'll read on, but that means to make something dead, all right, to kill it. He said, mortified, therefore, your members which are upon the earth. And then he says, I'll give you some examples of what I'm talking about. Fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil, con evil concupiscence. All of those were referring to horrible sins. Most of them are relating to sexual sins. And then he said this, oh, and covetousness which is idolatry. Sometimes in our heart, man, we can justify ourselves so quickly and say, uh, you, you know, listen, I'm not doing all that other stuff. I, I, I may not be honoring God in my life in, in this way. I, I may not be bringing my first fruits to the Lord. And, and Paul would say, listen, I want you to know on, on a list of things that really defies a, a heart that wants to follow God, you're going to find covetousness because it's a life of idolatry. Idolatry. And Paul said, you know, I would encourage you to kill covetousness now I want you to know there is one way to kill covetousness in our lives and it works every time. The way to get rid of the grip of covetousness is this. Generosity. 
It works every time. Nothing will release you from the power of a materialistic mindset like living a life of generosity. And, and, and I'd imagine everybody in this room is like me in this sense, and, and uh, I hope you'd admit it at least in your heart so I don't feel bad today, but I think selfishness is something we all deal with. In fact, I go so far as to say I deal with this every day. Last night, Lisa and I were winding the day down, and, and uh, I started to complain about something. She said, it's been all about you all afternoon, Steve. Let's talk about me for a minute. I thought, okay, all right, note to self, you know. Selfishness, it's just something that comes natural to us. And that's why it's good to keep God first in my finances. It helps me. Paul wrote this. He said, on the first day of the week, class, what's the first day of the week? We learned that last week, right? The first day. He said, so on the first day of the week, as you're getting your week started, let every one of you lay by him in store as God hath prospered him, that there be no gatherings when I come. Did you know that when you put God first, on the first day of the week, by bringing your first fruits, that's a great way to set yourself up for a much better week. Uh, I, I've been tithing, I started that up today and I can't remember, but I've been tithing for I guess 35 or 36 years at this point in my life and, and uh, I want you to know it's a great way for me to begin a week, to, a weekly reminder, God through this giving I'm understanding the earth is yours, the fullness thereof, everybody that lives on it, God it's all yours, this is not my stuff, it's all your stuff and God is an act of worship today, I want to bring this and one of the byproducts of that is it unshackles me from living with a materialistic mindset saying, God, I respect your will more than my own. I live for you. That leads us to the final thought that we'll consider this morning. I want you to know that through our generosity, it, it, does, it tells a story of trust. It seeks the path of promise. It conquers the grip of covetousness. But finally, today, it invites the hand of God's help. It invites the hand of God's help. Uh, I, I've said a lot of times, and I, I just can't get away from it, um, one of the very best parts of my life has been the privilege of being a dad i've just loved every minute of it and of course now we got little callie you know and she's great too uh it's just fantastic I, I love being a dad and and when the girls were small you know uh it was a little bit more of an autocratic situation because i'm the dad and i said so is an acceptable response sometimes but as the girls have grown, they're now in a stage of life, you know. Uh, Julie actually finished college in December. She hasn't walked till May, but I mean, she's done with school. She's got a job herself now at a school. And, and, uh, uh, and so we're in a new stage of life, and I've had to learn to, to take my hands off. Let them make decisions. I was talking with Julie the other day about a decision she was making, and, and frankly, I thought she was heading the wrong direction with it. And it didn't quite rise to the level of me seeking to interject myself in the decision. I thought, well, if that's the way you want to do it, then go ahead and do it that way. She did it that way. It didn't work out. And she came back to me and she said, Dad, you knew it was going to work out that way, didn't you? I said, yeah, I did. She said, why didn't you say something, you know? And uh, I'll tell you why. Because uh, as a father at this stage of the game, that's just not how I roll. That's not how I do it. I don't want to be the autocratic, tyrannical, uh, top-down, uber-aggressive dad. I want to be the one that's there when my opinion is sought in these kind of matters. I want to be quick to give it, and I'll be very honest, but that, that's just not how I operate. And friends, hear me today. That is not how God operates in your life either. He's not going to impose His will upon your life in that way. He tells us this is the way to go. This is the way it works you know, it's possible for a Christian to say, you know, 
I know what God says in that way, but I'm just going to do it my way. And when we say that, God says, okay, you can go your way. You can do that. But you're choosing to go to do so without my blessing. You can go your own way. You, you can handle this any way you choose, but you need to understand there's, there's really only one way that you're going to get a blessed outcome in this situation, and that's the way that I've ordained for you to go. So if you go your own way, realize what you're leaving behind. You're leaving behind the hand of God's help. Solomon told his children that living by faith is the best life there is. And then in verses 9 and 10, where we concluded our reading, he said this, Honor the Lord with thy substance, and with the first fruits of all thine increase. So shall thy barns be filled with plenty, and thy presses shall burst forth with new wine. Now, listen, most of us aren't farmers. We don't have barns. But I think you get the picture Solomon was speaking to people living in an agrarian society. He said, listen, I want you to know what happens. When you honor the Lord and you worship God in this way and you do bring your first fruits, you keep God first even in your finances, he said, you need to understand. God said, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to help you. The larger point here is this. When we choose to live by faith and follow God's plan, he'll return our honor to him by honoring our life with his touch. David said in Psalm 37, I've been young and now I'm old, yet have I not seen the righteous forsaken nor his seed begging bread. Now, David didn't say, I've never seen a righteous person go through a hard time. That's not what he said. But he said, I want you to know something. I've been watching a long time and those that follow God's will that do that righteous work in a sense, he said, God, God takes care of them. He provides for them. And Solomon teaches us here how and why to honor the Lord. And that should be something that's of great importance to people that say, I know God. In the New Testament book of 1 Corinthians, the Bible says, whether therefore you eat or drink or whatsoever you do, do all to the glory of God. The Bible's teaching us God is so interested in, in us as his children, as his followers, esteeming him, bringing glory to him. He says, listen, I want that to be done in every area of your life, even the seeming trivial things, but certainly that would include our relationship to material things. And I want to ask the kind of question right now that you don't answer out loud. Are you honoring God in that way? Are you honoring God in that way? Now I want you to imagine with me what would happen if we chose to do that. For one, I believe that I'd begin to pastor a church with people that would be blessed. I'm not into this whole prosperity message, but I'm a Bible preacher, so I have to come to the conclusion that God's word is true. And he said, if you honor me, I'll honor you in that way. And I just have to imagine that if we are faithful in this regard, God would bless our lives. But more than that, collectively, as we come together and as we worship God through, through our giving, it would give us the capacity to have so much more to do, so much more good. We could reach more people, more missionaries could be sent, more churches could be started. I'm telling you, it would open the windows of heaven, the Bible says and more could be done for the glory of God my challenge for us today is this let's learn to put God first and when it comes to the first fruits of all our increase let's not be stingy Christians who forget that the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof and all who dwell therein let's remember that everything we have it's a gift from him he gave us the strength to work. He gave us the intellect to work. He, he, he's blessed us in so many ways. Let's be the kind of people that can say, God, it's all yours. 
And just out of this first part, I want to honor you as a way of saying, I acknowledge who you are, the creator of all there is. And I want to thank you for providing for me in my life. That kind of heart is a happy heart. It's a joy-filled heart. Our Father, we're thankful today that you're a God that loves, a God that cares, a God that meets needs. Lord, I pray that you would help this church to be a church filled with people that love you to the point that they appreciate who you are and what you've done and in response we live lives of obedience god this is a very personal decision and i pray that each of us today would very personally consider these things open our hearts we pray in jesus name amen would you all be so kind as you join me in standing today with our heads bowed in a spirit of prayer The Bible tells us that giving is a grace. In other words, it's a, it's a gift from God that we don't even deserve. God says, I've given you the grace, the capacity to be able to give. And I think it's wonderful when we have hearts to say, God, I want to follow you in this way. I wonder how many today would say, Pastor, there was something in that message. Maybe it was a verse of reminder. Maybe it was something that I didn't even have in my mind. But you say, Pastor, in the course of this study today, there was something said that I think could be helpful for me in my life. There was something in our time in the Word that was beneficial for me to receive today. I wonder, are there those by the testimony? Just a quickly raised hand. Pastor, there was something in that study I think was probably helpful. Very good. Thank you. You may put your hands down. I, I find the same thing. I can't open the Bible without finding something to be helped by but guys, I want you to know when it comes to giving, we're not trying to appease an angry God. We're not trying to pay him off. It is not tribute money. There's only one way to know that we have a relationship with God, and that's to receive God's gift by faith. Our giving has absolutely nothing to do with earning or maintaining the love of God. He couldn't possibly love you more than he does at this moment. And maybe you're here today and in your heart, the real issue, the real question is, do I have a relationship with God? And the best news I can share with you today is this. You can know that you do. The Bible says that these things are written, that you can know that you have eternal life. Perhaps you're here in this service and you say, Pastor, that's kind of where I'm at today. Many hands have been raised already and, and per perhaps you've already raised your hand. But I want to ask another question. I wonder, maybe are you here today and you'd say, Pastor, in my heart, I just don't know that I have that kind of relationship with God. I, I don't have the certainty that I have that relationship with Him. And, and that's what's on my heart today. I wonder if there are those in the privacy of this moment. You just lift a hand real quick and say, Pastor, you can think of me. That's kind of where I'm at today. Are there those like that this morning? Just lift your hand quickly and say, Pastor, think of me. I'm just not sure I have that relationship with God. Perhaps there are other decisions in need of being made. You've been saved and not yet scripturally baptized or God is putting on your heart a desire to unite with this church family by way of membership. Maybe today you just want to say, God, thank you that on this earth that belongs to you and all the stuff that belongs to you and me that belongs to you, thank you for caring for me and meeting my needs and help me to worship you. I want us to close today with a, a time of prayer. And if you have something in your life, you want someone to pray with you or for you, I'll be here in the front with others that work with us. But why don't we make this a time where we say, God, help me. Help me in my life to honor you by bringing my first fruit, honoring you through the tithe. As the singing begins today, let's take some time to go to God in prayer.
huh? I just ask if you would pray with me for Carol to be healed. Great. Hey, Scott. Scott. Can you pray with Bert about Carol? That she's been so sick for about a month. Yep. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you, Pastor. Uh huh. y'all look this way there's a book called becoming an orchard and it tells a story of Abraham Lincoln one day with an aide, he walked from the White House and made his way to a church service and the pastor in that church service preached a, a biblical message and it was well thought out and 